Today's guest is Judy Ann McNamara, founder, director, and teacher at the Montreal Institute of Classical Homeopathy, aka MISH. Judy Ann shares with us her incredible life saving story of how she discovered homeopathy and how it changed her pathway to become a homeopath after years of working as a physicist and biomedical researcher. Today's episode will also be in video on YouTube and Rumble, as Judy Ann will be sharing some fascinating slides with us about mitochondria and how homeopathy can affect these incredible organelles to create healing. For more information, visit www.michmontreal.com. That's www.michmontreal.com. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout, where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world. And now my mum and your host, Eugenie Kruger. Hello, homies, and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangouts. Today, we get to speak with Judianne McNamara, who is the founder, director, and teacher at the Montreal Institute of Classical Homeopathy, aka MISH. Welcome, Judianne. Thank you so much for having invited me. This is a great pleasure to be on your show, on your podcast. I really, really appreciate it. And you're doing such a wonderful service for our community. I really want to extend our gratitude on behalf of all homeopaths all over the world for the work that you're doing. So, thank you, thank you so much. I'm trying this new thing where I'm actually accepting compliments so instead of saying, oh, no, no, it's nothing. So I'm going to accept your compliment and take it in. <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate that. Mm. I am really excited for our content today. And I mentioned to you before we started recording, my husband's usually like, oh, yeah, your podcast is great. But he doesn't get super excited about it. But when I told him about our topic today, he was like, Oh my gosh, that's one I have to listen to. So before we get into the good stuff and just to tease our listeners a little bit, tell us the story of how you were first introduced to homeopathy because your background is actually quite different. That's right. Yes. Well, the story goes <laughs> is I was actually born with congenital malformations, one of which was a concave sternum, what's called pectus escavatus, so that my sternum was actually touching the spinal cord. And so my chest was like a bowl and they really didn't expect me to survive at all. They thought I would die within the first few days in hospital, but I didn't. And so experimental surgery was eventually done where they cut out the sternum from the ribs. But in doing so, they removed the thymus gland, which means no T-cells and a very compromised immune system. So I survived on antibiotics for my life until I was in my mid-30s, and then my body just broke down. So my body gave up, and so did the doctors. They said they couldn't do anything more for me. And I was completely incapacitated. Anyway, through some fortuitous synchronicity. I was put in contact with a homeopath. I didn't know what homeopathy was at all. And within six months, this woman brought me back to life. And I mean, literally brought me back to life with homeopathy. And as a research scientist, I was at my peak of my career in quantum physics and biophysics and an active researcher. And this, <laughs> when this happened, I said, I've got to know more. I've got to find out how this medicine works because it was nothing short of miraculous. And I had tried, I had been on every kind of medication and every kind of intervention and natural and otherwise but this was really, really nice. So that was what motivated me to study homeopathy. And then I got my degree and I started my practice 30 years ago. 
And I guess the question that has that motivated that and has kept motivating me is how does homeopathy work? You know, how do the remedies really work? How do they affect the body? Wow. Can you, and what did your colleagues say at your quantum physics lab that you worked? They must have thought you were completely <laughs> nuts. Not really, because in some of the work that we had done in biophysics, we had seen biophotons. And we were quite interested in how the different cells communicated through biophotons. And also, interestingly, how cancer cells do not communicate at all and do not emit biophotons. So there was this whole relationship with light and energy and life that we sort of were on the fringe of and found interesting. So that was my way of of explaining what I was doing was continuing the research in, in that direction, but with a medicine that seemed to work that way. Do you feel that your yeah. branch of science was maybe a little bit more open because of what you were doing rather than maybe I, other scientific colleagues that weren't oh, had, working had in been, this area? Oh, no. Had I been a chemist or a pure biologist? No. As I said, the chemists are not trained in quantum physics mm -hmm. and really do not understand that dimension of biology. And what we're discovering now more and more is that the most crucial dimension of life is the quantum dimension, is the dimension on which the mitochondria act. And it's really the discoveries that the mitochondria are not these little beans floating in the cytoplasm of the cell. We used to, you know, historically we call them the powerhouses and thought that's all they did, which was a lot right there. But what we've discovered since then is that they're actually a interconnected network surrounds the nucleus that is constantly forming synapses. And that it's like a little brain mm. around the nucleus of every cell. And actually our brain is modeled after the mitochondria. So this discovery of this dynamic dimension of the mitochondria around the nucleus and also the discovery that the mitochondria are responsible for evolution, for adaptation, and for the turning on and off of oncogenes for almost everything that goes on in the body. So if a chronic disease develops, it's because the mitochondria sent that signal to the nucleus. So I wanted to show you. Yes, sure. Like. So for yes, our listeners, yes. Judianne has got a visual that she's going to show us. So you're going to have to hop onto Rumble to see this. So Judianne has got a very interesting looking slide up here for us. And it's really good that you've got the visual because, you know, I did biology all throughout school and I obviously did anatomy and physiology and pathophys at college. So when I hear mitochondria and adenosine triphosphate, I just wanted to say that to sound smart. I'm not. <laughs> or when you hear about all these terms and you said we talked about synapses. So I've got images in my head and I know what that is, but for a lot of our listeners, they might not. So we've got some beautiful visuals here. And Judy, and I want you to talk us through this and what we're seeing and what you're showing us. Also for, for people who are not able to make it onto the YouTube channel, we'll just try and describe it for them as much as possible. Right. Yeah. Well, for decades, we, and still in the biology books, you'll see mitochondria drawn as little beans. Yes. With a little squiggly okay. thing on the inside. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. Well, they take the form of beans when the cell is dead, when there's no life. So they shrink into just these little balls in dead cells. But in living cells, this is what they look like. Okay, so very they, different. They, oh, absolutely. So they're long filaments. 
that are very dynamic and always creating new synapses in between each other. And what they're doing is exactly like the brain in the sense of processing information. So they're integrating information on many dimensions, synthesizing, evaluating, and deciding what is the best action or reaction for this cell to take. Mm -hmm. And then once they've made that decision, they send the information to the cell nucleus. And it's interesting, I'll just describe for those that are just listening, there's sort of just where the mitochondria, you would, like Julianne said, normally it would be like a bean shape. This is more round. And then you've got these things that almost look like little worms all around the side of the cell. And it's interesting, you've got a kind of a close-up of the filaments and they're not touching each other because the synapses are obviously sending those chemical messengers from one synapse to the other. So they're not touching, but they're able to transfer that information from one to the other. Is that understanding yes, that well, that, well, they, they, yes they touch each other to ah. transfer the information oh they and are actually see, touching okay yeah and the dark circle in the center the dark sphere in the center is the cell nucleus ah. where the dna is stored and they sit all around the nucleus and basically send the information in and affect the dna of the cell mm. From the outside so that's that's, that, that's what we we understand now is what happens and so all of the process so they're constantly monitoring inner outer processes our perception of our environment actually put a little slide here mm. to show that they we've shown experimentally and i'm talking about the leading research centers like columbia university and they're showing that the mitochondria monitor inner, intra, and extracellular processes, our mental state, our perception of our environment, our projections, our anticipation, whatever we're stressed about, all of that is picked up instantaneously by the mitochondria. We can actually see within milliseconds the mitochondrial response to a change in our psychological state. What we know, again, scientifically, and what we've known for the last decade or so, is that they're instrumental for homeostasis, allostasis, all aspects of fight and flight, adaptation and evolution. It's because of the mitochondria that evolution occurred. It's when mitochondria were formed inside the first unicellular bacteria that evolution started beginning. So they really are the cause of evolution. Mm. They regulate the storage and burning of fat, the secretion of hormones, the production of cytokines, cortisone, DHEA, the stress response, turning on and off oncogenes, and all the genes responsible for chronic disease. So basically, we can trace any chronic disease and even the effects of aging to the mitochondria. Mm. But what is of particular interest to the homeopath is the dimension on which the mitochondria function. And that's really what we need to understand is that the mitochondria, when we talk about epigenetics, we're talking about biophotons. They are on a quantum dimension. And what's missing in biology is a dimensionality. The chemical reactions are on one dimension. The physical, mechanical tissue responses are in another dimension. The ionic, when we talk about the meridians, if we're talking mm. about acupuncture and all of that, that's another dimension. And there's the deepest dimension that we know of when 
actually that can exist. I'm, I'm glad you said that we know of <laughs> because they might. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll get to the other one is the quantum dimension. Mm. So as far as anything that can be measured, uh, that is is on that quantum dimension. So to understand, so this the quantum processes are not chemical. They're not physical. They are in a deeper and more fundamental dimension than either. So we can call it the immaterial dimension because it's not really material. Often we'll say it's on the energetic or energy dimension, but energy is still in the material realm. Here we're referring to something that is deeper than both energy and matter, and it involves light, which is both the mediator and the context of the creation of both energy and matter. So you can't talk about the mitochondria without talking about their cousins, the chloroplasts. So these two organelles are intimately connected. They're almost identical. The only difference is that they do exactly the same process, but in the opposite direction. So the chloroplasts of plants are responsible for the survival of all life on the planet, as we know. And they are the only things that we know of that can transform light into matter. Okay, so they transform the light directly into matter, and then that matter is transformed into energy and light by the mitochondria. So the mitochondria are doing the exact thing, same dance as the chloroplast, the equals MC squared. So it's the whole dance of first creating matter. And this goes against, of course, the laws of thermodynamics, but that's what life does. Life goes against the laws of thermodynamics and especially chloroplasts that actually create matter, that create molecules from light. So the C squared equals MC squared is energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. What Einstein discovered is that energy, mass, and light are totally interchangeable. Oh, wow. So that's, and that's what happens. That's how life is supported on the planet. If it wasn't for that process, that quantum process happening in plants, we would have no food. And it's so interesting because we were taught at school that energy cannot be created or destroyed. It can only be transformed, right? And yes, in a closed system, <laughs> first of all, because all of physics is based on a closed system that you can control. Uh-huh. And it doesn't pertain to life because entropy also increases is naturally increases that's also a law of thermodynamics but not in living beings and entropy being being the degree of disorder gotcha in in other words everything has a tendency to fall apart so do we eventually but (laughs) but when we start off we don't (laughs) all goes well when you hit hit your 30s and it's all downhill that's right (laughs) i'm kidding (laughs) yeah so, so those laws of thermodynamics work for in contained spaces, enclosed spaces, and again, only under certain conditions. What we see here does go against the Newtonian understanding and definitely cannot be explained by chemistry. So the chemists write an equation about it, but they don't really, they can't explain, and nobody can. Were we able to explain or even understand this, we would be making our own food, but we can't. Mm. 
We have to rely on plants to do that because they're the only ones who can perform these quantum processes that really are what this pointing to is the reality that space, time, and matter are all products of the interplay of consciousness. So it's through and an interplay of consciousness through light. Light is the physical manifestation of consciousness. So what we see here is the physical manifestation of consciousness being transformed into matter and energy and transformed into life. So it's to me, this is one of the most beautiful things to, to consider or contemplate is how we take for granted this miraculous process that happens in every moment in plants. So what we understand through relativity and quantum mechanics is that space, time, and matter are patterns. And they're patterns created by consciousness, created through light. Light is the container, if you like, of space, time, and matter. There's nothing that can go faster than light. And light is the instrument by which everything is the interplay of all of the elements that come into existence can happen. So everything in existence is a pattern in consciousness through light. And what the mitochondria pick up, because they're on that dimension, because they are manifestations right on that dimension, and that's their playground, is those patterns. So our Hanuman was very clear. Our medicine is immaterial. A homeopathic remedy that required process of potentization is a process designed to extract all of the material product from the pattern of consciousness that creates it. And the more the material that we extract, in other words, the higher the dilution, the more immaterial it is and the more powerful it is because we are revealing the unique pattern of consciousness that has created that manifestation. So that is what the mitochondria are picking up. And that is really what our homeopathic remedies are about. So for me, it's a fundamental understanding because when we take a homeopathic remedy, the signal is carried, and we know this through experience, through our own experience, right? The signal is carried through the entire body to every single cell instantaneously. It's at the speed of light. So as soon as the remedy touches the saliva under our tongue, that signal is transmitted to every mitochondria in the 35 trillion cells that we have. And that's the signal that they pick up and that's what they'll take action on. And unbelievably, Judianne, I mean, how many times does it not even start working before the remedy has touched the saliva? I have had a video consult with a client and I told her I'm going to give her Nat Mur. And she viscerally was like shaking all over when I said the word. And she said, I just felt something clear. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. When we recognize that we're working on that immaterial mm. dimension where it's beyond space, time, and matter, mm. there's no division. It's one wholeness, it's one holism. And so, yes, so calling to consciousness, any one of the millions of patterns that exist in the universe is the same as getting a homeopathic remedy. Well, I have said that a few times that I believe, I don't, I I can't quite 
pick exactly how many years. I want to say the next 10 years, but I think us humans are so rooted in habits that it's probably going to be 50 years. It can happen right this instant, right now. Time is relevant, but we can literally just think of a remedy and it will instantaneously heal us. Like I don't, I don't think we need the physical remedies. I think that is just to kind of appease our own small little minds where we cannot quite comprehend exactly of what you're saying right now, quantum medicine, just how incredible that is. So I think once as a race, we can get ourselves to that level, you can just think of a remedy. You're not actually ever going to need a remedy anymore. And then immediately I think, oh, but what about all the pharmacies? And where will we get the additional money from? And then that expansiveness of me just thinks we will find other ways of having an additional income or all that. But I really feel that we're going to get to that level where we just think of a remedy and We've gone that little yeah, step now. Have, well, I'm just going to interrupt you there. Yeah, too. please do. <laughs> because you can't, the mistake we make uh-huh. is that we confuse thought with consciousness. Oh, I'm glad you've made that differentiation. Okay, tell, talk to me about that. So it's not thinking about a remedy that's going to do it because our thought processes are actually very superficial mm. and the product of, I'm going to say, a whole sequence of interpretations and it's also coming from a sense of me that is separate from you and all of those false delusions that uh, our thought processes are based on Mm. so what how would you differentiate like the, the consciousness and thought well so consciousness so thought is a result of consciousness just like matter is but if we're looking for a consciousness to take an action in existence Mm. right through the material, then it has to be in a purer form and much closer to the light. So in order for that to work, the state of being would have to be one of non-separation, non-duality, pure oneness. So we couldn't be identified in any way with this, mm. when we're engaging. When you say this, you point it to your physical body just for our listeners. Yes. You know, Judy, <laughs> nothing is ever, nothing is ever like a coinciding. But yesterday I was walking on the farm and we have quite a few ants here and um, they've got holes all over the place and there's millions of them. And as I approach my footstep, maybe it's the vibration of the footstep or whatever, all of them, the thousands of them, and it was it was so many. They they all moved simultaneously in exactly the same direction, and then came back to exactly the same direction. So all of last night, I have been in my mind like, how do they know this? How have they got this collective consciousness? And I can't help but think that they are clearly way more advanced than us. That they are operating as this collective consciousness where they didn't all freak out and run in different directions. All of them ran in exactly the same direction and then moved exactly the same direction again. So but that's not that's that's natural. We're the unnatural ones. Yeah, well exactly. We, but we, do you, we have we, do you feel that's a collective this, consciousness thing as well amongst them? Well we have this delusion that we're each separate. Yeah. 
and that we live in and that we have separate consciousnesses mm. and all of that it's our delusion of separation that mm. causes us to be uh, so inept mm. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun because if we didn't have that we wouldn't experience trauma and pain and grief and jealousy and all of these things and isn't that why we oh, come I know. into we're, this heavy really human form to to, yeah to just experience <laughs> Experience of the drama. <laughs> we love the drama. We do. Yeah, exactly. It would be too easy if we were just in our pure holistic conscious state. Yeah, it'd be nothing yeah, fun to do. Yeah. So we still need the remedies. Okay. That's what I'm saying. Not quite there yet. <laughs> and we're probably going to need them for a long time. Okay. So I'm off for the 50 years. <laughs> Have you ever done any experiments where the, have you seen the homeopathic remedies actually act on the mitochondria? And how would you even taste that? We can't measure anything on that dimension. What we can see is the effects. So we know what the mitochondria do. Mm. Like, for example, they control the DHEA levels when within a few milliseconds of psychological stress, mitochondrial DNA is excreted into the bloodstream. So we know that they're affected by these things and they respond to these things, but we can't measure them. They really sit, what they're doing, you know, quantum processes, and that's why we don't understand chloroplasts either. And it's going to be very difficult for us to do that because the quantum processes are, as I said, deeper than matter and energy. They're on the dimension of light. And so you're going, if you like, beyond our space-time mm container and we as space-time objects uh, can't go beyond the space-time container <laughs> so, so do you think it's just a matter of accepting that we're never going to understand it or do you think that maybe the mechanisms by which we measure no, like, say, for example we if can't. we were able to like access this information through meditation or some like some other means of observing this that's right. We can't see any of this or measure any of this physically. But you're absolutely right. We can certainly connect to the whole movement. And I think that's what meditation is about, right? The Buddhists talk about the kalapas and being able to sense the quantum sensations of all of our sensations in our body on a quantum level. So we are able to experience on that level and through meditation and enough silencing of the thought processes <laughs> and they quiet down, pipe down a bit, and then we can actually access that. What I'm just saying is that we wouldn't be able to measure it mm -hmm. or see it that way through instrumentation. Mm. So, Have you got any other slides that you want to show us? No, well, just to say that, that is the basis of our understanding at Mish. And what we've done at Mish is develop a case-taking methodology that takes full advantage of the homeopathy's power to work on that subtle quantum level. What we focus on is the particular attribute. How can we understand what's happening in the mitochondria is by understanding what affects the mitochondria in the human being, how we perceive uh, our world, how we perceive danger, what we stress ourselves with, is how we perceive space, time, and matter. Well, we use the word patterning, how we pattern our environment. In other words, the individual's perception 
of their environment and the kind of patterning they engage in. In other words, how we want our world organized, what we're susceptible to, how we like things arranged, what our likes and our preferences are, our ideas of comfort. This is all patterning, right? And this patterning is directly related to the consciousness that is the organizing principle of the organism and unique for everyone. So we are each a unique pattern in a certain way. And what can give us insights in, into, into that unique pattern and the vital force is to understand how we pattern the world, what we strive for, what our ideal is. Uh, so we call that the striving or, or, or absolute. Uh, and that's where our stress comes from. Right, We create our stress as human beings because we hold these ideals and because we're striving for certain ideals or ideas or ways of wanting our world or ourselves mm. or others to be, right? Mm. And that's what we're susceptible to. That's what we're sensitive to. And it's when we're striving and creating stress that we end up feeling and experiencing sensations and those sensations are also indications of remedies. So the stress, the striving, we've we what we've done is we've we've used the old provings from the masters to extract the understanding of stress, striving, and sensation to match the patterns of striving, stress, susceptibility, and sensation that we see in the patients. So over the last 20 years, we've been able to expand the Materia Medica uh, with the existing maps and the new maps coming out by the world's homeopaths so that we can, once we we understand that what we call the dynamic pattern of the individual, we can match that to something in nature. So Holy that's, moly. That's Do you offer this as like a post-grad course? Because it's something I would love to learn more about, or is it just for your students studying homeopathy for the first mm -hmm. time? Yes. Well, yeah, it's a complete program because it's a whole new materia medica and a whole new way of case taking and understanding the human being. So it's a whole package that also includes the oligosols and organ therapy and SAR codes and all the other ways of using homeopathy, because those are very powerful supports. But the core remedy we understand to be really the core signal to talk to the mitochondria. And then from, so basically we've touched the cause and the causing element, and then we can support the whole healing process with all the other things. Yeah. I did so. find it interesting that it's called the Montreal Institute of Classical Homeopathy because it doesn't like, you know, what you're saying is, is I realize obviously it classical be going. To Hanuman. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I understand what you're saying, but at the same time, like you could just imagine, I think Hahnemann would have completely loved what you're doing here. He would have been so happy that the thing that he intuitively underststood over 230, 40 years, yeah, 50 well, years ago. That yeah, somebody has actually got a bit of an explanation for this. I think he's loving this. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, it was his explanation mm. that turned me on, right? Mm. He said that he, what he was talking about was field effects, right? He said what causes the tides and talking to the gravitational field and the electromagnetic field. So he was pointing to the, the quantum dimension mm. for what he could point to yeah. hundreds of years ago, <laughs> which is amazing. So that's why it's classical. We follow Hahnemann in everything that he said, including the importance of diet and the importance of mm. removing the maintaining causes and all of that. He never talked about addressing pathology with homeopathic remedies. Mm. <laughs> Can you 
Maybe tell us a little bit more about your school. I'm really intrigued now. What sort of courses do you offer? And I'm guessing you do online as well, or is it in person or how does it operate? So we started off in person doing one group every four years. And then we'd have all sorts of people in between saying, can I join your school? And we'd say, no, you'd have to come back in three years from now or do oh, no. whatever. So it was very, very, very hard on a lot of people. And we also were finding it harder to get a big group of people together mm. on the weekends. People would miss weekends. There's a wedding, there's a this, there's a that. And so we ended up having to film our uh, videotape, our, our presentations. Mm. And then so that the people who missed the weekend could watch it so that they could come the next weekend. So over time, we had all of our presentations videotaped, and we we found that we were spending more time catching people up than than teaching. <laughs> so we started creating an online program, and we had so many people from out of town who wanted to come. It was it was very difficult to try to orchestrate for people from out of town and and out of the country even. So we moved more and more online, and moved to a mentorship. We had always been sort of an apprenticeship mentorship format, but now every single course has one-on-one -on -one time with the teacher mm -hmm. and the, the mentorship that starts from the beginning to the end. It's very individualized. Right now, the court is about 50, 50, 55 people. And so there's a lot of colleagues with whom you can do the exercises that we have. And a lot of the exercises are supervised. And then, of course, we have the clinical supervision and the final level, the, the fourth level, where the supervisor and observers are there to, to do the final of the 55 cases that are handed in for the diploma. So, so it's, incredible. and what and I discovered what, actually yeah. is that it, we're actually getting better results online because people can go at their own pace they can review things that they didn't understand mm. take their time they can also get immediate help from the teachers mm. they get individualized attention and they're getting a lot more attention than they would in a classroom mm. if you have 30 or 40 people in a classroom on a weekend how much time are you spending with each one of them individually you know so yeah so it's working out really really well that's we're very happy with that yeah and how long is the qualification? And would you take a complete newbie to homeopathy and, and then train them up to become a homeopath so they can practice after that? Is that what you were saying? And then if you had a professional homeopath that wanted to come in to learn this method, how would that look? Well, we've had quite a few homeopaths come. So, and uh, Would they follow the same program or was that a different one? Yes, they, they follow the same, but of course, there are things they don't have to take. They don't have to uh -huh. take the anatomy, physiology, pathology, pharmacology. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of courses that can be, that don't have to be taken, mm, you know, okay. the history of medicine and all of that. What we do is it's important for the person to have access to everything because everything is taught from a holistic perspective. So even the anatomy and physiology sometimes is fun to go back. So they don't have to pay for it, nor do the quizzes, but having access is usually important. The Materia Medica needs to be revisited because we really look at the remedies. So all of the keynotes and everything are seen within the context of understanding the dynamic of what's going on in the mitochondria. So it's a much more global understanding of the remedies. And then, of course, the whole case-taking Process is something that you sort of have to start from the beginning within the context of, of a holistic understanding and a quantum understanding and go through that. So it would just mean less, many, many less hours for the trained mm -hmm. homeopath. But the people who have enjoyed and appreciated the training the most are the homeopaths. 
you have completely inspired me julian and you've really excited me with the possibilities of of what you've said and it's really nice hearing somebody speak so positively about the effects that homeopathy has on the body because we just get slammed from all angles of homeopathy doesn't work it's placebo so for somebody with your background to step into homeopathy and show us the level at which it works it's really inspiring like sometimes it's nice to just hear okay what we're doing actually has some incredible mechanisms behind it which we as our little human race is just not quite advanced enough to understand yet and maybe we shouldn't understand it maybe that's part of why homeopathy is so amazing is that it's possibly about surrendering and trusting that you don't always need to understand the mechanisms behind everything is releasing that need to control everything. And maybe that's part of the healing because I I would say so many of my clients I treat in clinic, their health concerns come from their need to control everything. (laughs) And actually once they learn to release and relax and kind of trust the process a little bit, healing starts to happen. So maybe on a larger scale, (laughs) there might be some element of trust (laughs) at play in all of this. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Can you please tell our listeners how they can get hold of you? And is there any last messages that you would like to leave them with? Yes, definitely. Well, uh, if they go to our website, www.michmontreal.com, so M-I-C-H, Montreal, all one word, dot com, uh, they can find out about our program. They can take it from anywhere in the world. It's completely flexible. You design your own schedule. We help students on board and with a with an automatic schedule that lets you know which units to do in what order. It's very individualized, as I said. And uh, yeah, and the, even the mentorship, and the exercises, of course, are according to your own schedule. You just work that out with the teachers and with the uh, with the other students. We do have regular webinars as well, which we try to time so that everybody in the world can come. So we have those about you know, four or five times a month where we just get together and explore interesting ideas and get to know each other. But it's definitely open to everyone. Mm-hmm. And it's not limited to Montreal, mm-hmm. for sure. And and yes, and depending on your background and depending on the time available, it can take anywhere from two years to four years to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's very flexible according to the individual and their mm-hmm. capacity, their needs, and their time. You know, but the yeah, I guess my the most important thing I feel that Mish brings is the understanding that the immaterial reality is the ultimate reality and that immaterial reality is consciousness and that the consciousness we are that we are light and we Mm. are consciousness and that the physical manifestations that we experience are all within consciousness that we live within consciousness and that all of space time and matters within consciousness and as homeopaths we hold in our hands the only immaterial and most powerful medicine that one can imagine and that i think can exist you know so uh and it's so important that we don't let people who have who do not have the background to understand homeopathy, to understand quantum processes. And those are chemists and people in the pharmaceutical 
chemical industry who have a chemistry background. Uh, chemistry has a very materialistic foundation and the bias and the, I'm going to say the incentivized. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the, 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 oh, the, top. the unconscious metaphysics mm. really that chemistry and biology are based on is that everything, that the reality is material. Mm. And that consciousness comes from matter. Mm. We've gone as far as, and this is the first time in history, that we are so confused to think that consciousness could actually come from matter and that it's not the other way around. <laughs> and so as homeopaths, I think it's really important that we be clear about that and that we under, understand and embrace the immaterial reality as mm. the fundamental reality and not be overly influenced by the a materialistic paradigm that is for a lot of scientists they're not even aware that's a bias and an interpretation <laughs> and not the reality. So mm. I think that that would help homeopathy and homeopaths a lot if we were really rooted in that understanding. Yeah. Judy Ann, thank you so much. I know my husband is going to love this episode. <laughs> oh, and I know you. that our listeners are going to absolutely enjoy this. So thank you so much for bringing us this hope and this excitement. And I can just, I feel like you've lit a little spark in me that it's just getting me even more excited about the possibilities of homeopathy. So thank you very much for your time today. Oh, thank you, Eugenie. I really appreciate it.